Welcome to this episode of No Calls But The Truth podcast in association with the British Country Music Festival. My name is Matt Spracklin and I am sat here with my good friend Tim Protty-Jones at Bertie Blossoms in Notting Hill. We've just had some lovely dinner and some beautiful drinks and we've had an incredible conversation all about Tim's journey into country, his musical theatre hiatus and his insight to the British country music scene. So without any further ado or any more nonsense from me, this is the conversation with Tim Protty-Jones. Forsyth or something holding this. Yeah, gonna hold it like that. So <laughs> only hold it, just hold it with two fingers. Yeah, that's like that. it. Des O'Connor. Bert Bacharach. <laughs> Why do birds? <laughs> Sorry, that was really loud in your ears, was it? <laughs> Why do birds? Birds. Birds. Started started a bit high. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> the sound of leather on leather. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. We're very leathery. I mean, we're, we're essentially dressed the same. I'm colourblind. If I walked in and saw this, I wouldn't even know anyone sat there. Really? <laughs> Until you smile. Yeah. <laughs> Just, my, well, no, because my cheeks are rosy because it's hot as well, so I don't it know. Is, it is warm. Actually, it's quite nice in here, actually. That's lovely to see you. And, and to you. Yeah. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well, mate. This is, uh, what a way to start the year. Just chatting about, well, I don't know what we're going to chat about yet. Who knows? One of, the mo- one of the first things I want to ask you today, mate, is actually quite a hard one and deep and quite personal. And that is, how do you get your beard looking like that? Genetics. Uh, <laughs> is it from my mum. I'm joking. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't have a beard. Um, I, d- I really don't do much to it. It's just, I have very, very straight hair, for one. So it, li- it, just, it just hangs and flaps off my face. I wouldn't say it's thick and luscious. It's just it just hangs well. Hangs well, doesn't it? I don't I don't need to trim it or anything. It just what it's just stopped growing at that length. I trim the ends a little bit, okay. but not much, no. not much. Blessed, you know. Blessed. Hashtag, Hashtag blessed. blessed. Hashtag beard, beard love. blessed. <laughs> that's a, I Bro- bet that's Brian a beard blessed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be an Instagram hashtag. <laughs> beard blessed. So I here, so here we are at uh, Bertie Blossoms. It's lovely, isn't it? It's really nice. We're, for those for those watching in black and white, we're sat on two lovely uh, leather sofas or leather armchairs. Yeah, there must be a word for them. We need a smoking jacket on, really. We really do. There's well, a lovely vintage mirror I'm on the wall. Massively against smoking, but vaping jacket? No, I don't even like that. Uh, just a jacket. Just jackets are fine. Just jackets, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Ed Sheeran's restaurant. It's very nice well. of him to let us come here. It's as good of Ed. Cheers, Ed. And we've got drinks on the way, and then we're going to have something to eat. So we've got our menus here. So we're going to so we're going to chat about everything, music uh-huh. mainly, and then all country and all sorts. And then we're going to eat and drink stuff. Be merry and be merry. See how merry I can get you. Oh God, good luck. Well, I don't really drink, so probably one will be enough. Yeah, that's and right. Then I'll be talking about all sorts. That's right. And you've already been busy today already. So I've thanks had, for joining I've just us. Just come from a rehearsal. Yeah. In the furthest depths of East London. Wow. So where? Uh, uh, Bow Road or something. Is it in Bow? Yes, yeah, near there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you doing there? Uh, I was rehearsing with Sir Jake Morrell. Yes. Um, he's got a gig on Thursday at Water Rats. And uh, yeah, it's sounding great. Should be a good night, I think. Emily Faye supporting. And um, yeah, should be a cracker. I'm hoping to go. Please do. 
We've not done like a, a headline London show for quite a while, I don't think, because Jake never stops. He's uh, he's a machine, but he's all up and down the country. So I think this will be a nice sort of, I mean, hometown-ish gig. Not, you know, more for me than him now, but yeah. <laughs> from uh, from Norfolk. But um, yeah, it's going to be a cracker, I think. But you seem to be spreading yourself everywhere. Like you're producing, mm-hmm. you're obviously doing a lot of co-writes. The, the Condors the other day, that Yeah, cool. yeah, that was really great, actually. The Condors are wonderful. Um, for anyone that doesn't know them, they're not really country at all, but there's a few little influences in there. Um, it's quite Southern. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, like, it reminded me of Nathaniel Rateliff in the Night Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, two unbelievable voices, like really great voices. Really great songs. So they're they're working on their next release now, um, and it's um, it's yeah, it's proper exciting. So it's lovely to go to them and see where they sort of you know live and work and this that and the other. And it's sort of I don't know. I think sometimes that sort of thing brings a different vibe. You know, depending on where you're working and stuff. You know, because you can get very comfortable working in your own studio or in your own house or whatever. So going somewhere else where you need to you know have a bit of a trek to it and. I think it just gives you a slightly different frame of mind and perspective. So it was really nice. Loved you, it. You're producing with them as well? Is it just um, no, at the moment it's just it's just writing. Uh, so we're going to do some more as well, which is nice. So obviously it didn't go too badly if they want to do it again. For so sure. uh, thank you to them. Amazing. Um, but J- Jess and I bond over 80s power ballads predominantly. <laughs> um, that's not what we're writing, but it's just what we love to do. So, <laughs> Well, uh, so 80s power ballads. So I was, was, was going to say, like, I can't, you can, you, I can't pin you to anything. No. Obviously, you've played in Americana bands, and, you, yep. and you, you, the father line is, is fairly Americana sounding. And yeah. It's got some, obviously, country. In, would you call it country? Not really. No. I don't know what it is. It, it's very much a, very much a passion project and a sort of a, an bo- born out of necessity. Yeah. At that time, those songs needed to be written and performed. You know, and it's. Uh, but then you go on TikTok, and you're screaming, me- but you're sc- and you're screaming metal. I know. And I know. then, and then I'm on TikTok because of you. Yeah. You said it was the future. That's my fault. It is the um, future. It's the future, then. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, it's quite, I'm quite obsessed with watching pranks in India. A lot of them on there. You've seen those? Yeah. Very good. <laughs> the thing is, though, the more that you watch of them, I know. that's all you'll they get. Keep showing up. It's the algorithms. They're, they're the oddest things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Indian pranks. Who yeah. knew? Is that a genre? Good name for a band. It is, isn't it? Indian pranks. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just lobbed them up and I was, you know, I asked you for some advice on the old hashtags. Mm. And Jake's been offering some advice as well. Good. And uh, yeah, I just put a couple of these sort of stupid little metal cover things up. They're amazing. Thanks, man. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> like, they're a ridiculous amount of fun. Um, so yeah, songs from like Frozen and Greatest Showman and basically songs all sung by women. Uh, which seems to be my genre, which is nice. Songs sung by women. But, you know, from metal to blues and 80 power ballads and Americana, <laughs> back yep. to musicals. Yep. I mean, we've hung out a lot and we've spoken about all sorts of stuff and music and, and every, obviously everything you do, I've seen you play mm-hmm. umpteen times. But how what, how did it all kick off? Like, were you always musical as a kid? Um, yeah, pretty much. So I, I started when I was about five playing the piano. Both my parents played piano. Um, my mum was, well, they're both teachers. Um, so my mum was a primary school teacher and played piano for like, you know, your assemblies and stuff. Um, and she taught at the primary school I was at. So I was kind of around that. 
my dad played the piano more so sort of Welsh hymns, you know. It was all <laughs> a lot of Welsh hymns I heard growing up. And uh, yeah, so piano was really the only instrument I was ever taught from a young age. And then from that, I taught myself other instruments. Um, I think I was sort of rebelling against learning a lot of piano music, yeah. you know, very dated. I mean, incredible stuff. Like, I, I genuinely love it, and I think it's given me such an amazing foundation um, of music and theory and stuff. But actually, I, I think I just wanted to create music. I obviously didn't know that at the time. I, it just felt like piano lessons felt like another lesson. You know, you go to school a week and you still have to go and, oh, yeah. you know, learn something. Yeah, and I was the same. I just had a bit of a weird sort of, I have a strange sort of, maybe a photographic-ish sort of memory. So I wasn't someone who looked at the music and played. You know, I, I looked at the music a lot and learned it in my in my head and then just stared at my fingers, you know, hoping that I didn't make a mistake because that would have thrown me. Because I guess with photographic memories, you sort of learn things as a block, don't you? So it's like if one thing's missing, you can't then just go, oh, yeah, I'm there. It's sort of like, oh, well, I've learned the entire page. So it's just, you know. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I never strange. thought about that. I, and to be honest, I've only really thought about it fairly recently about yeah. how I actually learn stuff. Um, I find remembering music very easy. I, I don't find remembering lyrics very easy at all. Um, but yeah, music and stuff for some reason just stays with me for a very, very long time, you know. I had one piano lesson. Yeah. Because I really wanted, because I, I started learning drums first. I was yeah. a, like, when I was like five or something, mad. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, like turning my brother's guitar upside down so I could play Something in the Way by Nirvana. <laughs> Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That was the first thing I ever learned. But then I was like, I really want to learn piano. And I had one piano lesson. Yeah. And I couldn't stretch an octave. My hands weren't big enough at the time. Oh. Couldn't stretch an octave. So I just gave up. You know what they say? Well, I don't know what they say, but <laughs> what about this? Can't be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that was it. Like, I just totally gave up. But for me, it was just I had to figure everything out for myself. Yeah. I'm just glad doing. I was very young when I was taught. Yeah. Because as I've got older, there's not a chance I'd I'd put that time and effort in without getting massively frustrated about stuff. So um, yeah, all my instrument learning was done by the time I was I don't know like 13 or something. I guess apart from singing, actually, singing was a Genuinely, the last thing I ever wanted to do. Um, really? Yeah, I was petrified. I still am petrified of singing, but it sort of. It was actually. It was at university when I started properly si singing, you know. And uh, what happened was, so I did a music degree, um, and obviously you're going to get incredible musicians at the, you know. And I was, so I was living with a group of amazing musicians. So I had a. There was a drummer. There was a guitarist. There was a keys player. Um, and a bassist or something, and then and a singer. And I was like, well, I kind of, I play all of those things, but those guys didn't play another instrument. And so they were like phenomenal at one thing, you know, whereas I've tried to be okay at a number of things, yeah. you know. So I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm gonna get left behind here because, you know, they're sort of in a band and I just, I do the same thing as all of them. So I just basically thought, <laughs> Who's the weakest link? <laughs> Who can Amazing. I compete with? Yeah, I didn't tell anyone that until now, so hopefully he's not listening. But um, I just thought, well, like, <laughs> I just thought, well, maybe I should sing then, you know. And um, I sort of locked myself in my room at uni and just sang a lot, you know, tried to just reach ridiculously high notes for a bit. And that was where, because someone played me basically Jesus Christ Superstar when I was at uni. Right. I'd never heard it. I didn't know anything about it. Didn't, wasn't into musicals at all. 
And um, suddenly I heard Steve Balsamo singing notes that I was like, that's really impressive. I reckon I might be able to do that, you know. <laughs> took a bit of going, but I, um, that was kind of a bit of an inspiration. And I keep reminding him about this now because we've ended up as really good friends, which is extremely surreal. So I just call him hero anytime <laughs> I see him. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of where the birth of singing high notes came from for me. And uh, it was sort of, it was fine at uni to do it because you sort of, you've got to really show your best work at uni. It's, it's fairly impractical in any other musical sense to be able to sing like that, I have found. <laughs> uh, country doesn't need it, um, that's for sure. Rock and metal for a certain, to a certain degree has it. So I used to do a bit of that, but no, singing was really never my thing. So how did Jesus Christ Superstar, the, show, the TV show mm-hmm. come about? So basically, as I said, like when I heard the music at university, it sort of put my, you know, my head into theatre a little bit. I, I sort of started to gain an appreciation for certain types of musical theatre, not all. And it, it sort of culminated in there being like a semi-pro production of Jesus Christ Superstar in the Midlands, which is where I was living. And I had a lot of friends who, you know, Gethsemane from Jesus Christ Superstar became a bit of a party piece for me. Like, it was one song I knew that I could do. Um, and people were like, oh, you, you, they were holding open auditions for this, this production. They were like, oh, you should go for it, you should go for it. And I was like, not a chance. I mean, A, I don't look like Jesus at all. I don't think I had a beard at that point. Or I had a very short beard. And, uh, you know, and I'd looked like I'd had, a, you know, a few meals. Um, so I was <laughs> like, this isn't going to go well. And it was on a Sunday morning. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I had to go and sing Gethsemane, which is very high, very sort of emotional and, you know, powerful as a song. And they basically phoned me later that day going, we'd like to offer you the role of Jesus, but, but you're going to need to lose some weight. It's always nice to hear. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised by that. I mean, it's not like, what do you mean? Um, so that was my life then. For like three months, I sort of was, went to the gym every morning before work. I had a normal, you know, everyday job. And I went to the gym at like six o'clock in the morning and then went to work every single day. And I lost three stone in three months, basically, before the show. And, um, you know, fast forward two years from there, and it was the ITV version of Superstar, which started advertising on TV. And immediately when I saw the adverts, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be my next dilemma now. It's like, do I go for it (laughs) or not? I didn't really have any, you know, intention of being on TV or anything. It wasn't anything I'd really wanted to do. And I was like, okay, fine. So I went, and it it was one of those horrible cattle call open yeah. audition things held in a hotel in London and it was just thousands of people some of them dressed like Jesus which was petrifying <laughs> um, and uh, yeah and, and then it just became this sort of snowball effect of kick getting through rounds and I was like I don't know how this is happening I sort of went so I didn't kick myself that I didn't you know I didn't not go and um, you know people were going oh what happens if you get through on, on the TV I was like it won't it won't it won't just kept getting through them and I was like I don't really know how this is happening or why but anyway I think Andrew Lloyd Webber um, saw something in me I think he liked the fact that I wrote music you know which was amazing Um, and he did reference it a few times which was great Um, and then we ended up going out to his house in Parma up in the mountains and singing for him I had a a wonderful chest infection but my god uh, Spanish 
antibiotics are <laughs> insanely strong. I was literally fixed within half an hour of having them, so I was practically dying. And then uh, I don't know what they were, but if you can get any, uh, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> sorry, I digress. And uh, yeah, so mad experience, and ended up getting through to the the live shows. It was everything you imagine these shows to be. You know, I, I generally loved the process because it wasn't, at the time, it didn't feel like they were being documented because you went on live TV. It sort of just felt quite safe still, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then by the time the live shows came around, it just sort of broke me a little bit, you know? It's because you get that instant, the instant comments from people, you know, who've seen you on TV and instantly write something. We, uh, people just took that in, in very different ways to each other and I, I did not take it well. You know, I had a bit of a breakdown after the first show and I didn't, I thought that was going to be the end of it to be honest. I didn't think I'd be able to do another show. They didn't think I was going to be able to do another show and uh, I somehow, somehow pulled myself together enough to do, you know, the next live show and stuff. It was mad and I still had a job. They were very kind. They gave me like a sabbatical um, to sort of do this process, you know, and then that finished the t when the TV show ended and David Hunter got me kicked out. It's <laughs> gonna say that's right, my dear friend David. Um, he still brings it up actually, Dave, which is interesting. I played a gig for him last year, the end of last year, and you know, he very kindly introduced me to everyone because I was playing keys for him and stuff, and uh, I then told everyone that he, you know, basically destroyed me on live TV, <laughs> which was nice. Anyway, when the whole process finished, it was like. I think Dave, I don't know how long it was after that, but Dave got in the cast of Once, which is amazing. So it was like his dream. Um, the experience ended. I was getting prepared to go back to work in Birmingham. And uh, I was just like, I had no drive to want to go back to normal job. I was like, well, if anything, I've proved something to myself that I can compete at this level, you know, to a certain degree. And... Um, I basically quit my job, which was scary, really scary. Um, and about a week later, I got a phone call from David Grinrod, the casting director, saying, uh, we want to offer you Cover Judas, an ensemble track for the tour of Jesus Christ Superstar, the arena tour. Um, so it blew my mind, <laughs> you know. So it, it was absolutely nuts, but it was the best thing that ever happened. It sort of you know, validated the fact that I'd left my job and... Um, not too long after that tour finished, I then did a production of Rent on tour, which was amazing. Then I did Once and joined Dave in Once, which was just insane. So my first night was um, with him as as the lead role, and I was, you know, it's like the next the next male role down or whatever on that sort of level. And I never saw it. I really wanted it may, to see it. It was it was creatively it was the most amazing job that I've ever done. Like I and I'd do it again. I think I really would. Oh, food's arrived. <laughs> That cheese board looks immense. Steak o'clock. Get in. Looks amazing. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jim. So, all this talk about you being a monster singer in the West End. <laughs> Does that mean you can dance? I can move. Can you? For a big dude, yeah, I oh. can move. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's the drumming thing. I've got rhythm, uh, which yeah. helps. So, so, bridge the gap then, mm. because most of the people listening will know you as a, uh, for want of a better word, country, but Americana, rootsy artist. Mm -hmm. How and why? What? Two questions. Go on. How and How why? How and why? Um, so, 
my sort of history of country, I mean, I, you know, I'll be quite honest. I didn't know what Americana was until you know a couple of years ago. Probably. I was talking to Jake Morrell a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and he and we basically came to the conclusion that it's all the things that we don't really know what it is. That's Americana. Then great, I've always been that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely always been that. But country for me was my memories of country was like listening to things like Kenny Rogers and you know the sort of quite easy listening country, and that would have been at home. That would have been like playing in the background over. Sunday lunch do you know what I mean yeah and um, so I, I grew up knowing those songs um, sort of scooting forward a little bit I, I guess I really discovered that the songwriting in country was something I absolutely loved it sort of it, it ticked so many boxes for me because it was people who still really sang like undoubted undoubtedly sort of talented singers um telling stories and I, I think that's what I loved about it it's almost it's 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 naked isn't it you're yeah, exposed of course because you, it, it can to sound go. just as good with you know just an acoustic guitar than it yeah. can with like a full band you know yeah um, so off the back of university when I finished my degree that's when I really started getting into writing music uh, and for other people and uh, it was that sort of I was so determined at that that age to, to sort of get my songs placed places and get a, um, a publishing uh, deal and stuff like that. And I, I would, I got all these sort of like, um, I'm trying to think what they're called, like lead sheets, yep. you know what I mean? So you'd subscribe to all these lead sheets of like, you know, Universal are looking for a song in the style of blah, 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 blah. You know, and I just remember the time, it was the most exciting thing. And it cost quite a lot to join these things. So it was sort of like, my parents helped me out to, to subscribe to these things. And the, you sort of send these songs off a little bit blind because you don't know exactly what they want. And some of the services actually give you critiques back, you know, a couple of months down the line. They send you back so they either says your song has been forwarded to the label or to the artist or whatever, or your song wasn't quite right and, it, and here's why. <laughs> and they just <laughs> rip into your song. You know, and I, I just remember, like, it's, it's quite, it's quite off-putting, really, because sort of, you'd always get or oh, the lyric content's a bit cliche and it's a little bit, you know, it's the sort of thing you'd hear like all the time, it's a bit, you know what I mean? It's sort of like the lyrics aren't strong enough or whatever. Yeah. And then you sort of listen to like popular music at the time and it was always like, in the club, in the club, baby, baby, in the <laughs> club. And you're just going, really? And my lyrics weren't right? It's sort of, it was a bit, it was a bit of a letdown. And um, anyway, one of, the, one of the listings was was for a country artist and obviously I was listening to a lot Around that time, Shania was huge and Faith Hill and that sort of stuff was big and I was I was loving that at the time. And there was a, a British country artist looking for songs and she'd had a bit of success at the time. Again, this is a long time ago. Who was it? Her name was Lucy Diamond and oh. she she did a lot of good, really good stuff. And as it happens, I sent some songs in that I demoed saying, I hope these are, you know, right for her. Yeah. And the feedback was, they're not quite right. They're not country enough but who's the, who's the vocalist on the track? And I was like, oh, that's just me. I just demoed it at home or whatever. And they were like, well, we'd really like to meet you. Um, you know, do you play any instruments? So I was like, well, yeah, the tracks you hear are like me doing it. Anyway, so I went and met her and the manager. Um, so I ended up playing session guitar and BVs for her for, I don't know, four years maybe? It was a long time. So my first experience out of uni was, was session work for 
in country music. So I got to play with people like Albert Lee and stuff. And no way. Yeah, because he, he guested on a lot of her stuff. Um, Delbert McClinton and people like that, you know, sort of slightly more bluesy and stuff. But essentially, she was a she was an out and out country artist, you know. And she had a she had a really great number of years, um, like number one UK country, number one country in Europe and yeah. stuff. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it just gave me more of the bug, to be honest. I feel like you're going to turn around and say, I'm actually 56. I'm, well, yeah. I'm pretty old. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem talking about my age either because I think it's sort of, it's given me so many experiences. I've, I've lived through a lot of stuff that, you know, if I was 23, I wouldn't have anything to write about probably. Yeah. You know, I didn't by the time I was 23. But now I do, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I always had to work, you know. It wasn't paying my bills. Yeah. So I taught drums for about six years. Um, and then I worked for a charity in Birmingham, music charity, community music thing. That was the job I was in when Superstar came about. So they were the ones that gave me the sabbatical. Um, but again, I did that for a number of years. Um, always whilst being in a band or writing, you yeah. know, and, and releasing stuff. So I know how that feels. Yeah, exactly. I, I was I worked for the co-op while I was on tour in a punk band. There you band. go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but but you, I could literally just turn up. Yeah. and go right. I'm here for like three days. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. I'm off. Yeah, don't <laughs> you can do that now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was quite hard to do with with having students. You know, because I had a lot of students. Because I was quite. I worked for Yamaha as well. You see, so I was sort of. I taught my own students, but I also taught the teachers. So I was sort of. I had a number of years where it was really hard to sort of plan gigs. I had to book, you know, extensive time off to and plan tours that far in advance because, you know, of my job. Um, and I didn't think twice about it at the time, really. It was, it was, I couldn't do it now, you know, and you need that sort of stability a little bit more. But, um, yeah, country started very young for me. Um, and then to come back round to it... Um, and to basically discover this scene that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's amazing. Well, it's almost like it's... I, I still feel like it's early days in the scene as well. Yeah, I, I think mean? so. Like, I think you've come full circle and walking into the right yeah. the right moment. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, I almost feel more in the scene now than I did when I was in the band. Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, without... This isn't an arrogant thing at all, but I, I feel like we entered at a certain level because of finding management so early, you know. And I, I know there was a lot of speculation at the time that we'd been put together and stuff. It's absolute nonsense. You know, I, I, I started the band because it's what I wanted to do. And mm. I really believed in the concept of two guys, two girls, you know, modern day Fleetwood Mac kind of idea. That's always what I wanted to do. Um, pretty much is still what I want to do. So it, it may happen again. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Want to be in a band, Matt? Uh, would you like to join? <laughs> Oh, we, just, d- we just need one more. Just need one more lady. <laughs> Apply within. Uh, and uh, I, I felt like because with the management support and subsequently the label, I feel like we probably skipped a few steps yeah, to a certain yeah. degree. But obviously I've done those steps before <laughs> a lot, you know. So it's not as if I still feel like I've paid my dues, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and now I'm extremely happy to be you know, doing gigs again for other people um, and doing different types of venues than we did with with, with the band that we were in. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, I just kind of feel like we missed that step a little bit. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad to be back and 
you know, making friends and contacts and working with, you know, a number of different artists within country and Americana in the UK. You know, it's sort of slightly more personable, which I really like. What was your favourite moment? <coughs> oh, it's getting emotional. What was your favourite moment in 2019? Of 2019? It was a good one, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> it was a weird one. It was a really weird one because it was just full of change for me. Like, I had, suddenly had a child. I mean, not suddenly. There was like nine months of sort of like, I think we're going to have a child. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so he was a joy. He still is. He's still with us. And he, uh, <laughs> musically, 2019, it's been, it was, oh, question from the floor. Oh, go on. I love the British Country Music Festival. That's, the believe it or not, that... Oh, okay, the That's cover. where I was leading to. Yeah. That's what, when I said, what was your favourite moment? It was because we've had conversations recently. I where, have you said know, that. Yeah, I genuinely have said that. Such a good, yeah. such a good time, wasn't it? I mean, 2019, despite not being in the band, I still played festivals that I knew I'd loved previously. Yeah, yeah. And again, was sort of going back and doing them on different stages with different people. And it was amazing to see them from that perspective as well. So, um, yeah, the British Country Music Festival was... It's always hard with new festivals because you just, like, you don't quite know what to expect. And many of them, you have a vague idea because you're like, you're going to be in a field, you know, there's going to be a porter cabin and <laughs> maybe a tent with some food in it, you know. That's kind of where you're at. And then when you sort of have a festival that's, A, indoors... <laughs> Uh, and be in the north of England, you kind of go, well, I don't really know what and to in expect. In a ballroom as well. In a ballroom, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, just, I remember walking in, because I was there for pretty much the whole thing, because um, I was playing a few times. And the sight when you walk in, you know, to that ballroom, it was pretty unbelievable. And I think, I think Ward Thomas might have been sound checking at the time when I got there. I think, I think that was about right anyway. And it was... Um, so you, you kind of it's little things like you know the gear's good because the sound's great um, it looks brilliant or the lighting was amazing and you've just got that space you know yeah. and that was before actually venturing out and seeing all the other stages that they got popped up you know and it was it was such a I don't know I think they should just be ever so proud about what they achieved that weekend because yeah. everyone I spoke to was happy like with and it was such a good vibe as well. Oh, the vibes you know, were amazing in the green room, and everyone's just, like, all the artists. It wasn't one of those times where everyone was separated because nah. they're playing at different times, exactly, and they don't want to hang out with anyone. Yeah, everyone was just having such a good time. And I think you also felt like you could go and watch other artists, yeah. and not feel a million miles away from when you've got to be back, you know, side of stage or whatever. Yeah, it was all indoors, and it was just it just felt felt very close knit, and you know, just a lovely sort of family vibe. There were people of all ages there, which was amazing. People who could literally just set up camp there and sit there all day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah. I think that's what made them such a receptive audience, you know. And um, carrying on from what you were saying about like a highlight for me, it really was because it was one of the first gigs the Fatherline ever played. I was going to say. Um, we've How done two, two supports for Jessica Lynn. Oh, yeah. In, one in the, uh, at the Islington, no, Lexington and one at the Hare and Hounds in Birmingham. So they were really like trial and error. We, we, didn't, we didn't know what was gonna happen, you know. Whether, and they actually went pretty well. So we did London, then Birmingham the following night, and by the time the Birmingham one came around, it was sort of like, 
I think we might be onto something. We've we've almost accidentally got a sound, you know. It's because we didn't really have much rehearsal time. We just didn't. You know, the thing now is you can record an album remotely. You know, you just send parts to everyone and see what happens. You but know, of course, all the musicians bring their own sound to it. Exactly, well, don't they? Exactly, you know? and it, it's actually a reason why I chose the people I chose for that project because I know that they've got such an identity. And again, like my guitarist, um, my guitarist, like I own him. Uh, Rich Watson is a phenomenal guitarist, but he's not in the country scene at all. But I know that he loves to play with like soundscapes and effects. So not only is he a great guitarist, like technically, he just has this amazing ear for atmosphere and you know that sort of stuff. And I think that really suits the music that we're doing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I've I've used Rich on a number of projects over the years, just like essentially it's session guitar, you know, stuff. Um, and it just became a time where I just thought, I want to do this all the time with Rich, you know. Um, and then the band sort of went through a few early changes. I mean, none, none of this was public knowledge because no one knew it was even a thing, you know. But um, Steve Marks, who, who's ended up playing bass, um, is a phenomenal guitarist. He plays guitar for Gasoline and Matches. Um, <clears throat> and he's, he's an amazing player. So initially I was going to have two guitarists and a bassist and a drummer and this you know, uh, pedal steel, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And it just became a nightmare to try and get us all together to That's rehearse. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just almost impossible because <coughs> they were predominantly all based in the Midlands as well. Um, and obviously me being in London pretty much all the time was, was quite difficult. Anyway, cut long, long story short, we, were, we had a rehearsal booked in the Midlands at Richie's studio. And I was driving up, had to hire a car because my wife and I share a car and stuff. And uh, our drummer, Elliot, texts me just saying, my dad's gone into hospital. I can't do the rehearsal, you know. And you go, oh, God, really sorry, man. Hope, you know, whatever. And I was like, and then my second thought was, oh, I've hired a car and I'm driving all the way up to the Midlands for no reason now, you know. Anyway, and we, I knew we had these couple of gigs coming up. So we just thought, well, we'll still rehearse. So it was just myself, Rich and Steve. Um, by this point, sorry, I should say that Steve said, well, I'll play bass then. I was like, you don't mind? As I say, phenomenal guitarist. And he's like, no, no, I play bass, you know, for other things as well. I was like, great. So it was just a three-piece, you know. And I thought, just when I thought my leg was going to have a rest from playing a <laughs> kick drum, I was like, back doing it again. I was like, oh, here we go. And uh, so we rehearsed as a three-piece. Um, and we really liked it. It just, it, it really changed the sound completely. Um and and so we've done every gig since like that you know it's just been a lot easier we are technically still a four piece but we've really not had the opportunity to expand on that sound at the moment um i'm not saying it won't happen we've got tracks recorded now that feature drums and you know elliot on kit and stuff what's the, what's the plan it's a good question i i me being the way i am my mind does this it just flitters from one thing to the next constantly so if, if there's loads of production work on, then that I have to focus on that. And, I, and I've had loads going on, which is yeah. amazing, particularly towards the last part of the year, so. And is, uh, are they mainly country artists and? Do you know what? I've, obviously my connections to country and stuff have, have, have helped. Um, and I think, I think it's this thing of, of going back to the root of country and the country scene a little bit is that I've been able to talk to all these artists more now. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I'm sheltered from anyone. Like I try and make myself 
open to you know conversations and for people to get in touch with me if they want to and stuff like that whereas I don't think that's always possible when you're in like a band or whatever and I think through that you know you sort of chat to people a lot of people go oh do you want to write sometime you know and I have to go through phases of writing because you can't just do a year of writing because you'll you'll either dry up or it's just not because writing is so speculative you know you're not you're sort of going into it you go no one's paying you to write a song it's a case of let's hope we write a great song that earns us both some money or you know gets gets some traction or whatever so I think I've always tried to sort of go okay well I'm going to dedicate this time to writing and then this time to production and, and then try and tick all the boxes you know and so I've had a number of country rights uh, which have been great and you know not just not just standard country, you get all, obviously all sorts, all types, you know, some more Americana than others, some very pop, some more traditional. And it's a great challenge to sort of try and write in all of those styles. So who, who have you worked with recently? Um, so again, over sort of 2019, I'm gonna try and reel them off. I'm, I'm gonna forget people, but uh, Jake Morell, obviously. Um, done sessions with Twinny, Lisa Wright, Laura Evans, uh, Jess Thriston, Vic Allen, uh, Liv Austin, what said her? Liv Austin. Um, oh man, there's loads. Who else? Oh, a chap called Dan Davidson from Canada, who's amazing. He's got a, quite a name for himself over there. Um, he's brilliant. Jeffrey James from Nashville. Logan Brill from cool. Nashville. Yeah. Uh, she's terrific. Um, 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 oh, loads. Man, there's loads of people. There's loads of people. I'm trying to remember in my head which ones I've produced and which ones I've written with. So it's sort of be out on because you played session for twenty as well. Yeah, on some yeah. of the tour dates. Yeah, so you, I mean, you you literally see more than anyone else. Cause yeah, you, cause, yeah. You know, you you're right there in like the making process of writing yeah. music and recording music. You're out there playing it, mm -hmm. and obviously you're out as a fan as well. It's mad. As, yeah, it's it's. I I always want that balance of trying to do everything in as much as if I just do writing and production, I really miss performing. You know, so obviously not having the band this last year has meant that I'm obviously more open and willing to do session stuff and play for friends and this, that, and the other. And that's been great because I've obviously been a nice variety. If you're only performing, do you miss yeah. producing and writing? Yeah. So I have to have elements of everything or at least know something's coming up, you know. So if there's a tour or something coming up. So, yeah, I struggle to do one of those things. Um, I need everything. Somehow, somehow. <laughs> so having reeled off the names that mm. you've just spent time writing with, producing, basically directing how they play and how yeah, they write, yeah, you know, to yeah. a certain degree, what advice would you give those that just want to get to Jake Morrell, yeah. Laura Evans levels mm -hmm. of touring, recording, radio play? Because yeah. there are so many musicians and singers and artists songwriters now in in the uk that yeah. have seen this british country music scene break have seen it thrive have seen the community mm -hmm. want to be part of it mm. what what should everyone be doing to get to where i you are essentially it's so hard you know because I, I it's changed massively over the years so when i was in my 20s and stuff it was still a case of recording cds in a studio like a proper studio 
burning off a CD and posting them and sending them to every record label, manager, everything, going, please listen to my stuff. You know, and occasionally you get like a, you know, a, a letter back that is obviously a, a generic thank you. It's not what we're looking for at the moment, you know. Mm. And I, I did that throughout so much of my 20s was just, you know, sort of um, rejection, 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 just these letters. So that was that. And then obviously you scoot forward to when was when was the band sort of starting? It was like 2015 maybe, 14, 15. And to find a manager at the drop of a hat, like literally straight away was nuts because it was someone who was connected. It's someone who could get a scene by labels, you know. We still earned that deal. Like it was just a case of we were put in front of the right people, but still had to impress them, you yeah. know. Um, all I would say what would be to, you know, that I don't think there's a th such a thing as an overnight success because we were called that, and you know that that didn't take into consideration like the 15 years that had gone before it that yeah. you know you you'd been rejected so many times, and I think. I would say, A, when you say, when you talk about people like Laura and Jake and Twinny even, they have some of the best songs going, I, I believe. I think their songs stand out in this, in this genre, in this country. And I think that is a massive part of it. I think get the best songs you possibly can. I know there's a massive thing for co-writing. You know, I mean, obviously I do it a lot. I still think there's so much you can do by yourself. You know, just, just write, write, write and write again, you know, constantly. Do you think do you think artists in the UK are at a disadvantage than if you were writing in Nashville? I don't know, because I think it's like anything. I think their scene is obviously so much bigger, and that can work either way. It's either more competition or mm. more chances of, of success, you know. I, it's going to take something pretty special from a UK artist to break America, because you are competing with essentially the country and the place that do it I'm not going to say best, but, you know, certainly that's what they're known for. I I think a lot of people are very focused on trying to break America when I still think they need to break this country because it's all about perception. You know, people seem to be doing very well and, you know, touring and doing, you know, good support slots and stuff. And then you go, well, is that translating into sales of albums and this, that, and the other? And is it actually making those artists any money? And on the whole, I would say no, yeah. it's not. They, there's a whole audience out there that needs to be tapped into, and that's just this country. And I don't think it's even scratching the surface, to be honest. So, you know, doing these tours and gigs and stuff, I think is wonderful. I think radio stations need to do more. Um, particularly like Radio 2 and stuff. They obviously do an amazing amount already. Uh, people like Bob Harris and stuff have been such great supporters. But I think on other channels as well, there just needs to be a little bit more play and just a little bit more awareness of what's going on. Or acceptance that it's yeah, part exactly. of Yeah, exactly. I still feel like it's a bit of a dirty word, country music. And yeah. it's like, it, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. It's They're just great songs. But in all honesty... You know, I get asked a lot about, oh, can you recommend any good managers and stuff, this, that, and the other. I was going to ask you that. Do you think it's important it's for uh, someone to have a manager? I, I think it's important for someone to have a good manager, for sure. Like, um, I would say, I think, 
I think the, I don't even know if it's a mistake, but it's a it's a very obvious leap to go. Oh well, who are such and such managed by? We should get in touch with them. And it's like, but they've already got the artist that you like already. Yeah. They're probably not going to want another one, you know. So I, I, it's trying to find someone, in my opinion, to find someone who is just hungry for it. They might not even have any experience of managing an artist, but someone who believes in you as an artist and is happy to knock down doors, that's what you need. It may well just be yourself, you know. And it also doesn't have to be someone in the country music scene either. Of course I mean, not. You know, I, I think Florida George and I was talking to... Who were I talking to the other day? Oh, um, Luke Roberts. Mm. So with Chase Rice, and mm. we are talking about... Florida Georgia Line and they're managed like that that band and someone else are managed by someone who's not even remotely part absolutely or got any interest at all in the country music absolutely. scene but just knows what to do and how to get well, it's, it's the exposure. same the labels you know a couple of years ago there was a, obviously a big craze for all the majors to have a country artist yeah yeah and you know that's just like a, a toe in the water just going well let's see if this does anything oh well Sony have signed them so we should probably get a country artist as well and it just felt like it probably wasn't being done through a passion of that music, but just more a, oh, this might be the next thing. This might yeah. be the next thing. But I know there are people at these labels who have a genuine passion for country music. And I think they need to almost step up and, and go, like, honestly, this is what you need. This is what you need. Let's look at a few different artists. Because, you know, the amount these guys gig and tour and stuff now is unbelievable. You're never not going to be able to go out and see some of these artists play, and I think I find that that side of the industry maybe has died a little bit, where it's not a case of going to gigs and you know seeing new artists anymore. Um, there was I think that's a shame. There was definitely a point where people weren't going to gigs, yeah, because they could watch it on telly or download it, or whatever. Of course, but I I quite often liken the country scene to my history with the punk scene right yeah because I, I, I was fortunate enough to be playing when people just go in if there's a punk gig on there was mm. the, people were going because yeah. it was a punk gig yeah that's what we're seeing now Absolutely. here yeah. in the UK but if there's, if there's a show on and there is every there's sometimes two three shows a week I know I know it's crazy yeah it's huge it's huge so much around um, I, I just saw the uh, lineup for it, what's that show in, in Scotland, they just announced Party on the Clyde. Or oh something. yeah, 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 yeah. The, on the Clyde, yeah. That's um, it's the same people as Buckling Boots and stuff. Oh, is it? I think so. so. Kezia Gill, <coughs> yeah. Laura Evans, Gary Quinn's Gary sort of, Quinn. um, a big part of it. Uh, right, and um, huge. And I'm thinking, well, that's the same weekend as C2C. Yeah. I mean, who's not going to that? So it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's mad. There's a, there's enough. There's enough. I mean, you can see even by the the addition of all these new festivals and stuff that are going on. There's definitely a fan base for yeah. it, and. You know, when it was just C2C, that was just March catered for, you yeah. know? And even then, like, all the American artists are over and they carry on touring then in March, like, off the back of it. And it's, people will go and see them at C2C and go and see them the following week, you know? And it's like, they need to be catered for all year round because I think they'll go to shows. I think they'll absolutely go to shows. So winding down, yeah. what is, I've got a couple things I want to ask you, but one is, what do you find personally the hardest thing in what in what you do? Because um. because we see like all the moments we see British Country Music Festival, yeah. See the producing, we see you know long mm -hmm. road, we see all the stuff putting out putting out singles and stuff, and we see the social media and we see the, the screamer <laughs> the screamer on TikTok. Screamo. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what do you find hard as an artist? I find, and this is this is just a personal thing. I find 
social media stuff really difficult. Yeah, that's what I thought you might say. I I used to love it. Like I used to love particularly Twitter at the time, like when it sort of first came out, it was a big thing. Um I f- I find it really difficult. I I've always cared about what people think, which is a really dangerous thing. <laughs> um I hate seeing the negativity. So I, I I try I try and be positive in all of my posts. Like I I don't I try not to go on there and, you know, preach and spout about stuff. I try and always make light of everything. And that's I think that's just because that's what I want to see more of. Ideally, I'd love to be at a point where I just didn't have to rely on it. But I can't see any other way around it at the moment. No. And obviously, especially now having a son as well, I'm I'm just I'm petrified for his future with social media and I'm just so glad it wasn't around when I was a kid like I wouldn't have wanted that in school too many opinions and yeah I just I think it's quite a toxic place and I think a lot of musicians and loads of people I know really struggle with their minds and I think social media is probably one of the the biggest impacting issues with with people's minds and they're you know comparing themselves to everyone around them um and that's again I know a lot of people who compare themselves to everyone in their lane or that they deem to be in their lane and they're so focused on that that they're not moving forward themselves because they're always looking sideways and it's I think that's that's a real shame so yeah that's that's probably the thing I find the hardest is the, is the social media stuff um and yet it's really good for other stuff so it's kind of it's a it's a tricky one I think you have to take the rough with the smooth but I think the rough can be very damaging for sure what can we expect more from Tim Potty Jones <laughs> in 2020 uh, 2020 I would say so we've got a load of production stuff um, that still hasn't seen the light of day so the stuff I was doing last year that still hasn't been released um, I've just been working with an artist from LA called Erin Bowman mm-hmm. who is wonderful so I've been doing her whole, her whole album so that's that's been like my biggest project for the last half of, of 2019 and it sort of really reminded me of like an amazing time in music when Alanis Morissette was like you know the biggest thing around cool. um, so that's 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 the sort of first bit of the year sorted um, obviously playing for people like Jake and whatever which is amazing uh, doing a bit of writing, people like the Condors and stuff have already done this year, so there'll be more of that. Um, Fatherline, we're already confirmed for Buckle and Boots, um, so there'll probably be some other festivals with them. Um, we're gonna we're gonna sort of go back to s- almost starting again with that to a certain degree, whereas the songs all came from me, and then kind of got the guys to add stuff. I'm actually gonna go into the studio with Rich and hopefully Steve as well and actually not rework the songs, but sort of start from scratch on them again. So we ended up recording stuff and then playing them live actually took them in a slightly different direction mm-hmm. and, a, and a direction we actually preferred. So there'll be more of that for sure. Um, and I, I think there'll be some other opportunities um, <clears throat> from a live perspective, like more performance stuff. Uh, for so there's a there's a show that's in the works. I can't say too much about it at the moment. Okay. A show that's in the works, um, which would be a touring show, and it's just been away and done some recording uh, for that. And there's some really great people involved, most of them in the sort of country scene as well. 
Um, so look out for that. So that I saw that on social media. Yeah. Old socials, eh? <laughs> and uh, you already saw what, you, what we wanted <laughs> yeah, you to yeah, see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so that'd be quite exciting. And then there is a, a prospect of another sort of project, band kind of thing on the go, um, which I'm sort of writing for now, but I'm not, I'm not going to rush this one. Um, again, saying what we were saying about you know, the quality of songs of like Jake and Twinny and stuff. I want the songs to be, you know, that level and, and yeah, beyond yeah. if 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 that's possible before anything's done. But um, yeah, it's just really nice to be in a position now where I know who I work really well with. Um, so whereas I often just hide away and just write for myself, I think there's a few key people that I really trust with my music now, which is nice. And um, It'll be about that, so all collaborative stuff, trying to get the best stuff possible out there, I think. Um, cool. But yeah, that'll all be coming this year, for sure. Good. And then there's our band. We just formed a band. We've just formed one, uh, which is going to be very good. Um, what should we be called? What should we be called? Two Beards and a Blonde. <laughs> yeah? Two Beards and a Blossom. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Let's do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of No Cause But The Truth in association with the British Country Music Festival. We would love it if you subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode and extra love if you'd give us a lovely five-star rating. You can even review the podcast and leave a comment with who you'd like to see on. You can find me on social media at Matt Spracklin. See you next time.